Welcome to MDA Insights, the podcast where we bring you the latest in training and development trends straight from the experts at MDA Training. Welcome to our show today. I'm Oz Hussain, your co-host on MDA Insights. And as usual, I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Hewitt. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? I am well, Oz. Thank you very much indeed. I'm well. We have a fascinating guest today, Paul. Very excited by today. Uh, Do you want to make a a short introduction on who our special guest is? I will do. Uh, Delighted to be joined today by Robert Rubenstein, social engineer, founder and driving force behind the TBLI, specializing in environmental, social and governance, ESG impact investment. Robert, just before I ask you to say hello, um, uh, we've got some lovely quotes. What do you say about yourselves? We we make dreams come true, but are not in cosmetics. Uh, We focus on irresponsible investors and criminals because they have more money, there are more of them, and they have a better sense of humor. Robert, Delighted, uh, delighted that you could join us. But tell the listeners, please, about TBLI. Tell them about triple bottom line investing. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for this um, opportunity. Um, So most people know us from an annual international financial summit that we held 40 times. Most people associate us with the TBLI conference. But our work was never to organize conferences. We were good at it. It was well curated, lots of money raised, jobs created. But our work was always to change the financial system so it worked for all stakeholders by educating asset owners and managers uh, around sustainable investment. Um, started, But remember, 25 years ago, the word ESG and impact didn't exist. Even um, uh, SRI was not really that well uh, used. So we started, you know, in a kind of barren wasteland of trying to build that ecosystem and educating those uh, asset owners and managers. Fortunately, there is no group more predictable than the financial sector. They all kind of run up the hill and jump off the cliff at the same time. So behavioral change was never really that challenging. Um, If you speak their language, the mistake that a lot of NGOs made is they started shouting loudly in Mandarin to someone who spoke German, thinking that if I shout louder, they'll get what I'm talking about. And it doesn't work like that. So we always focus on the three things they needed to see, which is self-interest, opportunity and money flows and show that over and over and over again. But it's it's always been a farming exercise. And remember, the financial sector are hunters. Some are pirates, but in general, most of them are incentivized for short-term behavior. So you have to align their interests with what you're trying to kind of steer them in a direction. So our work has always been educate the, the financial community that sustainability or what became ESG is in their interest or in their client's interest. Um, and if you don't, you're not going to get you're not going to get through. But the challenge has always been access. The convincing is easy. If you ask 
anyone, if you ask, you know, a mafia figure, do you want a financial return in the social environmental added value? Nobody's going to say, no, I want all my money to make life miserable for everybody. And I'm working at that 24-7. They don't think like that. They just, it's an educational issue. They don't know, which is the work that you're doing is very uh, important. You have access and you're trying to educate those asset owners. So that's really what we've we've done. I mean, we, we do a lot of different things to try to build that uh, educational uh, outreach and we don't we no longer do face-to-face summits and shift it to a full virtual uh, weekly master class with various thought leaders that are doing and not only uh, saying um, unfortunately the the financial sector has discovered that ESG is a money maker for them because they can make their fees but it's not going to restore the social environmental balance so there's a lot, you know, if Bloomberg says there's 53 trillion going into ESG, if there was 53 trillion dollars going to ESG, we'd have no problems with climate change, food security, water, soil erosion, nothing. We could go home and, you know, have universal basic uh, income, but yeah. it's not going. So it's become like a everyone showing I have a membership card to the fitness club, but I never go. Uh, but I tell everybody I have that membership card and, and you know, to convince them. So that's the main shift is there's been people have to be part of the the community, the fitness club, but they don't want to go. Even with all of the anti-woke garbage going on in the U.S., that's not going to stop the money flows. Unfortunately, the money flows are not restoring the social environmental balance. It's just ESG, unfortunately, has become... The way it's done now, a death march in the wrong direction, but slower. And, and that, that if I may just pick up on that, that's that's exactly the words that you've used in one of your blogs. I think somewhere else you said it's the most successful failure in history. <laughs> yeah. um, but so so why why isn't this message getting through? We we have access. We're trying to align self interest, as you rightly say, um, opportunity and money flows. Is is it that the message is getting through, but it's just very slow, or is it that people are still? Um, it's a, it's a variety of reasons. One, most people, the more assets someone has, direct or indirect, the more isolated they are. So they hang out with people who play tennis or golf or whatever they're or they're or on their yachts. They hang out with people who already think like them, and they limit the amount of new information. They're not reading hundred different newspapers every day. They're reading a couple, which reinforces their thinking. That's, you know, how all of the algorithms work um, on Twitter and other social media. So they're getting limited new information. In addition, the system, if you just look at climate tech investments, there's tens of billions of dollars going to climate tech. Not one of those funds, none of them, Al Gore's funds, Texas Pacific Group, General Atlantic, who've raised a fortune, none of them are going into addressing climate in the short term because the quickest, cheapest, fastest way to draw down carbon is uh, improving the soil, uh, restoring the health of the soil, regenerative agriculture, nothing cheaper. You can do 330 gigatons 
If you look at most of these things like Climeworks, which is sucking CO2 out of the air, dry air capture, they're talking of a few megatons, maybe in three to five years. So it's why why are these investors going with that if they're really interested in climate? Because there are the unicorns. There's no unicorns in restoring the health of the soil. So the incentive system where everybody, you know, I've got a, a million or a billion or 10 billion or 100 billion, I want to double that, so I need my 10x. So they're looking for things that promise a 10x. And also there's a perception that uh, ESG or impact is money losing. It's a charity, it's not serious, they're not good fund manager, blah, 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 blah. So they believe those myths, but they don't question the myths of fund managers claiming we always beat the benchmark, always. And hedge funds always make 30% returns. And private equity funds always make 30%. So they never question that. And people don't push back. Uh, I once said to the head of Goldman Sachs, I said, you know, I can't prove it, but I have a feeling the investment manager is wrong half the time. And he said, no, three quarters. So I think, would I go back to a doctor, dentist, car mechanic, plumber, painter, whose 75% of their decisions were wrong, wouldn't go back. Here you have a situation where the investment manager is paid four times more than they should be paid. And they're wrong 75% of the time. And no one questions that everyone you know okay that's the system you know there's a little bit of pushback my management fees are are too high my carries that but in general the system there's very little you know heroes like behind me george carlin or like like us saying you know i'm sorry but uh paul and and uh, us your children are actually quite ugly um and uh, don't take offense. So there's very little pushback. You see it. At, look at every major ESG summit. Just go Google ESG summit. The more sponsors, the less critical thought. And I, I remember I used to get invited a lot. Come, you know, free ticket and for you know virtual event. And I would go, and I, I saw they run it like North Korean show trials, meaning. You can't see who's in the room. You can't chat with anybody in the room. You can't ask a question because it has to go to the 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 sensor to check that we don't want to embarrass the sponsor. Um, so the system keeps feeding on itself, the same as journalists who don't want to be too critical of politicians because they want to hang out with them and go on their planes or billionaires and that. So that system is, is is the same. You know, the financial sector, people who work in the financial sector, our fund managers, are given only one, one or two instructions. Don't lose the money, make it grow, increase AUMs under management, because that's your bonus and that's your carry. And as long as that, if I said to you, don't lose it, make it grow, and have a high sustainable impact, and your bonus and carry will be based on that, that'd be different. Um, so the system is, uh, it, uh, we, we launched something this year called the Better World Prize. Because every year when I did the summit, our summit, I was frustrated that every single ESG measurement organization that was well-funded, they always refused to join a panel with a competitor. Always. They always, no, 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 I don't want to be on that. Because they didn't want comparability. 
So we started a Better World Prize, People's Choice Award, and we had 45 independent new thinking around how do you measure sustainability. And it was, and it's an open source library. Anybody can use it. Just go to TBLI Better World Prize. And fortunately, it, we had great presentations, 45 different presentations, and 100% success or failure, depending on how you look at it, of not one single well-funded ESG measurement company would be willing to present. And it's easy if you can compare it you know, like now we have three and, and one without a photo. Who's the most handsome? You can compare them. Obviously, it's Paul. Yeah. So when you do that, it's much easier to make a decision. So they don't want that because they're doing they're making their fees, but they're not restoring the social and environmental balance at all, at all. So, Robert, what you know, that's some amazing insights there, you know, it's just it's really fascinating listening to you talk about all this but ultimately i'm hearing it is the only way change is going to happen is it going to be through some kind of people revolution uh well you i know, mean there, there there's, there's going to be something quite drastic that's got to happen for there to be fundamental yeah. change and to force yeah. these institutions into yeah. change and and whatnot sure. well there are a couple of things are already happening and then i had predicted that 10 20 years ago the financial institutions will lose their talent if they don't really commit towards sustainability. So you see it now. You see uh, this asset management stole the team from this asset manager because they can't find people who have expertise. I'm not saying they have great talent. So you're seeing uh, people who've earned enough money, you know, and uh, but want to have more purpose. So they're either leaving or looking for another thing. And, and then there are lots and lots of uh, emerging managers that are actually committed to sustainability and reporting on that properly. Unfortunately, the tier one fund managers, which is a very, very tiny percentage of all the fund, it's like nothing. They hoover up all the money. So when they don't raise money, they send you a fax and you've got until you know 2.30 to respond or you're out. So all of the the asset owners who, you know, they don't want, no one got fired, you know, hiring IBM. They just go with the tier one fund manager. I can't go with an emerging manager. Uh, come back, you know, maybe fund four. So I advise all emerging managers, tell everyone this is your fourth fund. Don't start with fund one. Um, and that that is that is the, the, the issue that people will, they will lose their talent. Um, and there are more and more asset owners who are starting to discover, hey, I can actually use money to restore the social environmental balance. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the ones really doing the most talk the least. And the ones that do the least talk the most. So people believe the press releases. You know, they believe, you know, everything that Donald Trump says. And that makes it, you know, very difficult. Uh, and until government does the thing that they can do, but they refuse to do it, policy changes. I mean, you're both in the UK. So if you go out and buy a bicycle in the UK, you have to pay, I think, 21 or 25% VAT. Yeah. If you go buy an airline ticket, there's no VAT, zero what that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. you can't even get an agreement 
on putting the VAT on airline tickets. There's no tax on kerosene. There's lots of tax on gasoline, which is there. And the airlines always lose money, even with all of this, you know, support. So if you're not, if prices are not going to reflect their true cost, that is slowly changing. Carbon is coming in as a cost, but not at the level that it needs to be. That will be a game changer because then it's easy to compare because everyone is having to pay if they're big CO2 emitters. Robert, Robert you describe. Yeah. You describe a situation almost as though we're rearranging the deck chairs on on the Titanic. Yeah, an industry are. that's driven by the wrong things yeah. and measuring the wrong stuff. Right. What? What then? Tell me. Tell me more about the better world prize. Yeah. More about what should be measured. Um. Well, what would. We didn't want, um, I, I am very distrustful of juries, because if you've got a jury of five or eight people, you can black, you know, you can uh, lobby them or give them a bribe. So we chose a jury that doesn't vote. Uh, I have belief more in the wisdom of the crowd. So the jury just created questions that you have to answer as a presenter. And each one got five minutes. It's a lot we're asking. I mean, 45 presentations of five minutes, but you have an open source library to use that. And you can compare um, and trying to get each one is using a different methodology. Like one of the most innovative ones is um, from a Canadian woman uh, who, who has a very simple model. Is your company in service of life? Because for 20 years, she was measuring and ratifying environmental assessment reports and sustainability reports. And she said, this is ridiculous. What am I doing? You know, who are the who are the, the most the best rated sustainable companies on these indexes? All of them score well because it's about what they report, not what they do. So she came at it from a completely different way and created her own system of, is this company really in service of life? Um, are, are the things that they're making improving the social and environmental balance? Under that definition, obviously most are not doing well. You know, what, our definition is while you're making money, are you improving, worsening, or maintaining the social environmental balance? And if you don't know what the social or mental balances, the day after your two or three week holiday, your first day back at the office, that feeling that you have that you lose very quickly working in the office, depending on where you are. So it's, it's not really that hard. And all of the initiatives that have been done with all of the different global associations and deeper and more and more and more and more and more and more data is not giving the insight because most investors uh, and many retail investors particularly they if they want to do something well they say oh i'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy an index fund on e etf on sustainability and thinking that they're going to restore the social and environmental balance by investing in a Blackstone sustainability ETF, which is why it's so ridiculous that the anti-woke community is so in up in arms because they're not doing anything to impact sustainability. Um, so it's uh, people have to decide 
Why do you want to invest in sustainability? Is it just to tick a box as a pension fund to show I'm cool, I'm part of the club, I'm engaging, I'm chatting with the company to change their behavior, but I'm not changing anything. And I just want to, you know, keep my returns. Or are you doing this to restore the social environmental balance? Then you should take a, a much more uh, different approach. And there are methodologies out there. Unfortunately, the big ones, the big players work with the big institutions. They're doing okay. They're not, they don't want to change anything because they either don't have the expertise or it means their their IT system. Yeah. So people have to decide, do you want to use your money to restore social balance? Do you just want to hang out with the, with the cool guys and say, I'm part of the club? Do you, you know, do you actually want to, I don't really believe in a lot of the liquid assets that you can restore the social and environmental balance. I think it's more in the illiquid space, like simple things like real estate. You know, the minute that a building, a green building is retrofitted or built, you see immediately the difference in energy, water, etc. It's a no brainer. It's quite simple. Public transport infrastructure has to raise trillions every year. It's low carbon, no technology risk. They're double A rated. Uh, very little money is going into that. There's lots and lots of opportunities, but the financial community, they just process what they do the last time, cut and paste the bond the last time and go back to the same investors. That's all for today's episode of MDA Insights. At MDA Training, we take a unique approach to training and development. We don't just focus on the theory, we focus on real-world application of that theory. We work with our clients to understand their specific needs and design experiential training solutions to meet those needs. But it's not just about the training. We work with our clients to help them achieve measurable results and create real behavior change in the workplace. We hope you found this information valuable from our podcast today. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with more insights and expert advice. Thanks for listening.